0: have you ever thought about getting a face tattoo (laughs) what for i don't know i mean uh, what i look like post malone just so that you can ruin your prospect of ever being employable well if i ever got a face tattoo it'd probably be
1: because i didn't need to be employed ever again
0: Hmm, that would be the point point. like i made it what would you
1: get as a face tattoo i gotta be real with you i know like the whole tear thing is like bad but I don't mind the tear thing. Like I it, it, I think I like aesthetically. It immediately killed someone. I know, aesthetically though. Like I think it looks pretty decent.
0: <laughs> so you you'd get a tear
1: job. I got to be real with you, hardcore. Most of the time when I play those RPG video games, I just end up getting like I do a tattoo of a like a scar across mm. my eye. It looks pretty cool.
0: Yeah, no, that that is pretty cool. I think when I, think I was you a should kid, put a bat symbol on your chin. <laughs> When I was a kid, I used to be really intrigued with like people who had scars over their eyes. You know, yeah, it was like, oh, that's that guy's cool. Oh, He's got a scar. Oh, oh, how about this? I'll just tattoo my eyebrows. Is that cheating? Um. Well, I didn't ask you if you had to get a like if you had to get a face tattoo. Well, I mean, I definitely don't want one. Yeah. No. I know. I feel that.
1: My parents are like prohibitionists. There's just no alcohol in my house. Mm-hmm. But they they would probably. If there was a term for prohibitionist, but it applied to tattoos, that also applies to my family as well. So you wouldn't get a tattoo? I just, I'm interested, but if I got one, it would be somewhere where no one could see it. Sure. And then at that point, it's like, why are you getting one if you can't show it off? I've been, I've been very fond of shoulder tattoos.
0: Yeah. I think think you could, I think you could rock like, like a half sleeve, a forearm. I think that'd be cool. I, I'd be down with a
1: forum. I just feel like it's very trendy. It's going to die soon. Eh, maybe. People putting like a little sun and moon on their forum, oh, a little uh, lighthouse. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever else. Yeah. Well, anyways. Tattoos are cool. What the heck did that have to do with anything? No, I don't know. I was just thinking about face tattoos today. I was thinking about how you should intro the show with something
0: relevant, Cameron. Oh, no. I would never do that.
1: Well, I was thinking, you know... I was going to sing Katy Perry, like, do you ever feel like a plastic bag? But you walked in and you were just like, I got something.
0: Okay, wait, hold on. This is how it relates, okay? Oh, gosh. In, in, like, the precursor to Nazi Germany, a lot of these people had... um, had dueling scars. Oh Do you know about dueling scars? No, I don't. You almost put me to sleep but then you said something cool. Yeah, so they would they would like fence each other but without like face masks or anything. Yes. And they would try to get the get their cheeks. Ew. Yeah. It's, so so a lot of these a lot of these people had had big cheek scars. That's disgusting. Scary dudes. Scary looking dudes. That is scary. It's
1: like um is the enemy from Solo uh the, the evil guy doesn't he
0: you know, he's the the actor of Vision. Doesn't he have, like, scars across his face like that? Oh, he's got, like, yeah, they're... I think that's... I don't know if they're scars. I though. wonder if it's inspired by that dueling scar thing. Mm, maybe. It's pretty cool, Nevertheless. Though.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Everything Comes From Something, episode 48, two away from our break. Ooh. What will you do for two weeks? We have a lot of work to do. For yeah. Two weeks. I don't know. My name is Isaac Ransom. I'm Cameron Tuttle. And this is an unoriginal podcast about unoriginality, and we usually talk about where things come from or whatever the heck we want. It's a broad statement. We're working on it. That's why we're doing a break. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Shout out to our our executive producers, Darren O'Neill, Kiana Le Yap, and Eric and Ariel Walk. Thank you for supporting the show, and I apologize for last episode. We did not shout you out till the very end. Yeah, I
0: know. That is my bad. It's like people don't listen to the end of the show. Well... They probably don't. Well, to uh, be fair. Also, quick note: we're recording this the same week we recorded the episode with JD. Yeah, like two days. It's the this newest episode isn't even out yet. I feel so ahead.
1: Wow, we're on top of things. We posted for the first time on Patreon in what, like, three months.
0: I don't know. I'm telling you, things are changing in this office. Things are changing in this office. <laughs> <laughs> this administration. You want to give each other dueling scars? <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> Uh, it's for the best though we we want to make a show that's good
1: yeah oh yeah so that's 100%. the goal i think we will eventually we'll we'll have a, a show that's good someone gave me a compliment they said that my voice sounded like a audio ryan seacrest uh
0: i don't think i sound like him but they were like the flow of the way that he talks. I think that's a backhanded compliment of them being like, "You've got a you've you've got a face for radio." Wow, that's <laughs> a, that's extremely nice. Very sweet of you, Cameron.
1: <laughs> I thought I just sounded like a uh, douchey white boy.
0: Yeah, I mean, kind of.
1: That's accurate.
0: Yeah, I'm a sorry you listen to this. Both of us kind of sound annoying. I think. Ew. Why did we start a radio show? <laughs> <laughs> for our own pleasure. I you think- narcissist. We listen to it just like as we go to sleep. Oh my gosh, I'm famous. To be honest, my reason for starting a radio show is so that I could hang hang out with you on a weekly basis. And waste a lot of money for gas? Yeah. yeah. If you don't know,
1: Cameron and I live in separate parts of the world. <laughs> I mean, just kidding. <laughs> you live uh, up on the Bay Area at the top in SF and I live
0: at the bottom. I was having an argument with a coworker who said that San Jose is not a part of the Bay Area. Well, they didn't put it in Watchdogs too, and I was like, I totally disagree with that. I think we are absolutely part of the Bay Area. Well, where does the Bay end? Well, the Bay is the Bay. It's just a geographical location. I would say that San Jose is the end of the Bay Area. Like, I don't consider Morgan Hill to be a part of. The oh bay Area no, 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 no. But there's definitely but San like, Jose is.
1: I mean, it touches the water at at one point. At one point, that's what I'm looking at at a map right now. Yeah, let me see. It's like the boot of it all The boot (laughs) Oh it definitely It is definitely the bottom But I would say that Mountain View Melpitas Sunnyvale Well North San Jose dude Yeah North San Jose touches the water Alviso I've been to Alviso before Yeah That that place is kind of cool Fun fact Our guest Jules Three episodes ago Her first EP image was taken At Alviso Wow I think that is correct That is a deep deep cut what <laughs> that first ep it is a throwback dude it's a banger I'm let's get into it let's get into it today's episode is about the tragic history of italy and you might be thinking to yourself wow this show's going off the deep end yeah why <laughs> well we haven't done a history research um episode in a long time and just for time's sake i did a presentation on
0: italy in my food culture class and i i I'm imagining this picture of like a bunch of, a bunch of girls being like, oh, we want to do Italian food. Oh, there's pasta and there's pizza. And Isaac getting up there and being like, all right, here's the economic breakdown of Italy. And <laughs> that was my task.
1: Okay. Yeah. Like everybody. So the presentation was a like 40 to 55 minute presentation on Italy. Mm. And we covered them culturally and historically, economically. And then of course the food side of it. Yeah what do you talk you can't talk about food culture for 45 minutes no no. so um,
0: you you, this was really a 45 minute presentation yeah
1: (sighs) except funny story about it i'll tell you in a second okay um i just felt bad for the other people in the groups because this class is just an upper division ge course right people are just there to get by they just want the grade they want to get out and so some poor soul in each group presentation was tasked with the economics the history background and the development of the country. Mm. And for me, I'm like, oh, yes, I will take that. I am excited. Um, I was super pumped up to talk about it. But when it came to presentation day, it was the last day of class for my semester. And I might have mentioned this before. My teacher didn't show up to class. Really? She had forgotten that class started at 9 and thought it started at 10. I'd probably be like that as a teacher. So she showed up at 9.50 very shocked that the class was full of students and we're like dude it's been nine o'clock for the entire semester what is wrong with you you know and we had like the presentation had a food element so we brought cannolis and coffee and so we were basically just feeding the class Mm -hmm. to stall for time and the class didn't want to leave because there was extra credit involved that day so we had a packed class empty we were just trying to entertain people right um and so she showed up, and she was like, oh, just strip down your 45-minute uh, presentation to 15 minutes. ah Which is very sad. So, so I've got this huge, like, desire to share okay. what I've learned about Italy. And it's kind of cheating because we did a little bit of research, but we did a little bit of a follow-up. I want to say this first and foremost. We are only doing it for convenience, not to <laughs> rip on Italians. My girlfriend is Italian, okay? I think... Italian culture is fantastic and awesome, but we are calling this episode, the tragedy of Italian culture. I should even say the tragedy of the the 20th century for Italy. Yeah. Because their nation is
0: a little bit of a mess and it's honestly not good. Um, Yeah. It sounds like there was a lot of um, stratification in the economic um, environment of Italy. Right. So like, the war really kind of devastated the economy because or world war one really devastated the economy because um they just didn't have they didn't have the the gdp output to to have this big war machine and they weren't really ready for um for a large-scale conflict like that so italy has a history of constantly trying to catch up to the development of the major world nations. And before that, like only 50 years before that, was was Italy even um, conglomerated as like one solid country. Before that, it was like small separate kingdoms, right, in In the 19th century. Yes. So,
1: they were, they're not empires, but they were just small little, it, w- it was divided and it was finally united in 1860. Um, and they kind of had to figure out the ropes of what does it look like for Italy to be A country united yeah, And that's a complicated task Just some quick notes Most of our information is gotten from uh, An encyclopedia That I read through It was an online data source encyclopedia I don't know how to cite it I I completely forgot Let me see Actually I might have the citation here Um, Yeah here we go Give me one second It is a Encyclopedia from 2003 uh, By someone named Katona, uh, eight, the encyclopedia is called encyclopedia of food and culture, uh, Italian meal. Wait, that's not right. That's not the right one. That's a different one. Anyways, it's fine. Here it is. World Mark encyclopedia of national economics, Italian country or Italy country overview. That's where most of this information comes for the presentation. The rest of it, Wikipedia. Sorry if you hate Wikipedia. I'm just saying this podcast is supposed to be like fun education. <laughs> it's like, an, it's anti-school education. Sure. I wish my teachers made jokes while they were teaching stuff. But it's just this boring slosh mm. of, Ugh. gotta get through the PowerPoint. Got tenure. <laughs> <laughs> gonna read some slides, mm. right? Mm. Um, so here here are just some cor- uh, some really quick, boring facts about Italy. Uh, if you care, you care. But here it goes. Um, currently, Italy's GDP is at 1.27%. Uh, 1.273 trillion it's the sixth uh, richest country and uh, its 18th income per capita historically they have been relying uh, relying on agriculture and there is this dichotomy between northern and southern regions of italy and yeah we're gonna we're gonna get into where italy's at and how they've sort of developed i want to say cameron and i are american We are doing our best to understand what Italy's like because, let's be real, wherever you grew up and where you were raised, the history you learn about is in the context of the country you are from. Yeah. So if we misrepresent information, if we say things incorrectly, we apologize, we were having fun just learning about what Italian history is like from the information we could find. And I think
0: there's a lot of... um, When you look back at these... Time periods, even ones that are relatively recently, I think there are a lot of things that you can miss by not being sort of uh, deeply connected or inherently connected to the culture um, around it. So we'll, I think we'll try to do our best in um, portraying the 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 history as as it's been relayed, um, you know. But obviously, that that's not necessarily how it always was. I'm just saying we're no
1: experts. If you're interested in Italian history, just look into it yourself. I want to say that there are some incredible documentaries and little like PBS snippets or anything about where Italy's at right now. Mm. Um, It's just there's so many ways to consume history.
0: Do Uh, you think um, you see, I don't know much about current Italian politics, but um, is there a rise in anti-European or anti-EU sentiment? right now do you think there's a rise in sort of populism
1: currently? i
0: i really don't know mm. i don't know i think that would be interesting to see because as far as i'm aware um like the big rise in populism is coming from um i mean i mean it it was coming from from france a little while back and i think it still is with the yellow vests and then it was coming from um you know, other disparate EU nations. There are only Um, a few things I know
1: currently about what's going on in Italy. Um, The first is an anecdotal piece given by Juliana's cousin who actually came to live with us uh, from Italy mm -hmm. or she, she stayed at Juliana's house and like she was describing how much she loved America and California in difference to, what Italy was and of course she missed home she lived there for two months but she was talking about how bored she was in her town hmm. how like it's very small town vibe there's there's not much going on the only thing she ever does on a Friday is go to the club with her friends right and she thinks that when she came here there were just there's so much more to do and so from that anecdote in my mind I was like okay Italy seems like a great place to go vacation but I don't know if I'd want to live there just the region she's from. It's it's up in the mountains, like in the northern region. Hmm. And her name is Alexia. She she was, uh, yeah. She just had an interesting view on a, on a lot of stuff. It was cool to see where uh, she was coming from for from her perspective. And the other thing that I that I did a little bit of studying about was uh, Italy's migration crisis currently, and that was for my presentation. I still don't feel like I have a full grasp about what's going on. Um, it just seems that the EU's preparation for immigration has been not well handled and they have no countermeasure or plan
0: to, for what to do with these immigrants. I think that was the general consensus, right? A couple of years ago, they were getting a lot of migrants from, um, from Syria, but also from North Africa and other places in the, in the Middle East. Um, and I think the peak was probably like 2015 around that time. So I don't know. I think you're seeing the effect of that in a lot of, um, a lot of the populist movements throughout Europe. So, and a lot of the EU, the anti-EU sentiment. Yeah. That's just what I get from from being an outsider. I'm not really all that hooked into European politics all that much, but um, from what I see, there's a lot of... Um, depending on where you are in Europe, there there has been a lot of backlash.
1: I believe it was a PBS documentary that I watched on YouTube about the immigration crisis in Europe. And the, the main issue that they were highlighting with the EU and re- into regards to what was going on with Italy is that the EU has a law that the first country you enter is the country you must claim citizenship from first and foremost. And so there's this crisis happening with immigrants showing up to Italy. There's no infrastructure for them to apply for citizenship in comparison to France. Even though France doesn't even have a good infrastructure, it's apparently better than italy's italy's is a complete mess they don't Mm -hmm. know what they're doing so then there's like these encampments of immigrants on the border of italy to france yeah yeah. and they are trying to get into france because apparently it's a quicker process to them becoming citizens or 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 maybe I i don't know maybe it's easier for them to stay there illegally either way um the documentary was very interesting to see how Most immigrants were like, dude, Italy is kind of a mess. Sure. Uh, And it was cool to see how some of the Italian locals were trying to embrace immigrants as well. A lot of, a lot of good stuff there. Like I said, there was a ton of information out there. I'm a visual video guy. So when I learn history, like we do a lot of reading for this. I have a hard time computing all the information. That's why we're, we kind of, I don't know, with this show, we try to hit notes on the head that we think are valuable or entertaining Mm -hmm. and sometimes we'll miss over stuff um idiots like jonathan adam always reach out to me every single episode say dude you got this wrong i'm like shut up jonathan
0: (laughs) (laughs) i've known you since second grade just shut up i'm just kidding yeah no and there's a lot of i mean obviously it's a divisive issue um the whole immigration and you know populism and the eu and very, very complicated, very, very... Um, lots of moving parts that I don't think we fully understand or grasp as Americans. Um, so, And that topic doesn't necessarily relate to the theme
1: of this episode. And the reason we're highlighting Italy is there's this theme of fast implementing policy and an idea that if you plant a seed and it doesn't grow in the first week... Don't rip out the seed and try to rebuild something again and again. Italy has a history of constantly trying to restructure, rebuild all the time with these fluctuations of leadership and uh, changes in political perspective in the way that the government should be um, operating. And I think that this all harkens back to Italy's position in the first two world wars hmm. we highlight that Italy comes together in 1861 right um, a disjointed group of small kingdoms now united under one nation and they don't really know how to respond and so in the 1900s they kind of push this idea of protectionism lots of tariffs they're not very easy going working with other nations and it and it leads to a mass migration of immigrants from italy
0: to the americas um, as italy tries to restructure and figure out what's going on this is when you have large waves of of italian immigrants into new york um, in sort of the the mid to late 19th century Um, you get a very large population of both uh, both italian and irish immigrants
1: yeah and you can see that um, this time wasn't all bad 1899 Fiat was founded. Skirt skirt. The the
0: the car company. <laughs> yeah, like what are they making in 1899? Probably tiny cars. They probably look exactly the same actually. Really? Fiat 1899? No, I don't think so. They were they were probably making making like buggies. Like huh. not like like I don't think they were cars yet. Shut were up, they... dude. It is a car, the Fiat 4HP. Really? That was the first car? It looks kind
1: of like uh, I mean, I, I, I did. Nobody. Li- I didn't live back there, and but I've seen like a Model T before. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. no sort of cab. It kind of looks like a carriage. It's like wide open.
0: Yeah, it looks just like a carriage, actually. A little motor. Hmm. Interesting. I want to see what's the motor. Is it electric? No, it's probably gas. Produces four
1: horsepower. Wow. Yes. Stepping up the first ever Fiat water cooled oh snap What your dang. pc got on that dang two cylinder rear mounted engine 4.2 horsepower 800 rpm hmm. with a three-speed gearbox no reverse <laughs> only
0: moving forward its top speed was 35 kil- uh, kilometers per hour or er, yeah so that's 22 miles per hour i mean that is you know for 1899 someone zipping around and in, in a in a little buggy being mean like Woo! you know at 35 a- miles an hour You'd think they were like crazy. That'd be amazing. 35 MPG to 29 MPG. Dang. Dang. That's way... <laughs> that's better than my car. I got to give me one of them old Fiats. <laughs> Just like scooting down, putt-putting down the, down the street. That's amazing. So, it was uh,
1: related to the... I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Serrano Brothers. It says... Genovi I think Ernesto and Matteo. They were, they were the inventors of Fiat. Yes, I think. Okay. I'm not sure. Interesting. Uh the designer was uh, a Oh boy.
0: <laughs> Don't say Italian names. <laughs> I know.
1: I'm I oh gosh. Oh dear. Forgive me now. I tried to warn you at the beginning yeah. of the episode. So interesting stuff, right? And uh that brings us right into World War 1. Cameron, do you know when World War 1 started? 1914 so italy joins the allies in world war one in 1915
0: yeah so well so they were they were part of the um uh the, the triple alliance um so between austria hungary hungary germany and italy um they made a pact beforehand obviously um uh world war one was started Or i mean it was it was escalated into a world war based on the on the defensive alliances of you know like eight different countries um and the triple alliance was was between the um what would go on in world war Two to become the 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 axis powers but it was basically germany and then on the eastern block austria-hungary um and the ottoman empire um and then in 1915 um the Italians pretty much backstabbed the the Germans and the Austria Hungary.
1: Yeah, the, no, uh, no triple threat there, dude. No, More no, like a duo that's limping.
0: Yeah, it was like it. Well, it it was interesting because it seemed like the Italians were afraid that that the Austria Austria Hungarian um, Empire would. Uh, take over the Balkans, and the Balkans were the—I mean, basically now we consider it like the the Belgian bloc countries. Um, so, so like, think of like Eastern Europe, um, all the way down into Greece, um, and so so they were afraid that that Austria Hungary was going to become a major power in the region, that and they wanted that the Balkan lands. Right, Italy or Italy's shape at the time is kind of similar to
1: what it is today. It's, like it's, it's the exact same. And they wanted to change that with World War I. As a matter of fact, they bet their chips there said uh, the Austrian, or what is it, Central Powers? Central Powers, yeah. we're not going to win. And they were like, we're going to join the Allies in hopes for a section of that land, a little slice of the pie. Yeah, yeah. We want to win. Here's an interesting fact, uh, actually, from the encyclopedia, I believe. I hope I got that right. It's been a while. <laughs> I was supposed to give this presentation two weeks ago. But they gave me 15 minutes. Um, Italy ends up spending more money than it had in the last 50 years of its government hmm. on World War One, because they were so desperate to get the the acquisition of the Balkans, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this didn't leave Italy in a great position, because if you look at what Italy looks like going into World War One and then exiting World War One, it's the same. Yeah, they didn't get what they wanted. Yeah, and now well, they're and, in massive debt.
0: Yeah, and so this was Mussolini's pitch, basically, um, in the precursor to World War Two. Uh, you know, he he started sort of gaining power in um, the early twenties. He was a he was a World War One veteran. He was part of the Socialist Party. He wrote for like a Socialist magazine. Um, and after after World War One, he sort of um, ran on the position that. Italy was screwed over in World War One. Like they were, they took a a big brunt of the fighting. They took a lot of um, economic damage, and they didn't really get anything out of it. They didn't have. They didn't get the Balkans. They didn't get anything in North Africa. They didn't get anything that they wanted. And so Mussolini had both a an economic and um, political vision for Italy, but also an imperialistic one. So they had. It, it seemed like Mussolini really, really wanted to um, control the other areas of the Mediterranean.
1: Actually, seen in 1936, Italy ends up invading
0: Somalia. Uh, Somalia. Somalia. Thank yeah. you,
1: Cameron. And uh, they hold it until World War II.
0: Yeah, fact. and and they don't they invade the uh, Greece and the Balkans too. That starts actually when they join. So 1940. World. Yeah, in yeah, the forties. Okay. Yeah. And so, and interesting, I was reading that um, Mussolini, uh, because Hitler was obviously invading, um, you know, Poland and whatnot, um, Mussolini was afraid that he was going to be considered like a second rate um, Axis power. And like he, he wanted to, he wanted to basically push his weight around, uh, around in the region. So he, be, he actually became more um, imperialistic as, as the alliance with Hitler um, grew. So which leads us to 1940 Italy joins and aligns
1: with Nazi Germany. and they kind of push out in a couple of different directions. It said I think they gave 250,000 troops to the front with Russia um, in response to they, they basically wanted support from Germany as well as they began to invade sections of northern Africa and the Balkans because they
0: wanted they wanted that land. Well, at the time um, wasn't Russia allied with Germany? was it? Yeah, yeah there was the um the uh, Molotov pact Dude, I don't remember anything about that yeah and and Germany invaded Russia um, even though they they made an alliance. To, so, be, to be neutral towards, towards each other. When does Russia switch to the Allies? 1942, I believe. Um, so f- f- uh, Germany occupies France basically from 1940 to 1942-ish. And then um, in 1942, America joins and the Soviet Union, uh, or and Germany invades um, the Soviet Union. And so he's fighting on two fronts. Right. And... Um, well, I mean, he's fighting on much more than two fronts, but the big ones were the the Eastern Front and um, in in France. This is a side note because we were talking about World War One. What was that
1: battle that you read about with Italy invading from the back end that we've played in Battlefield 1? The I? Battle of Mont Grappa? Yeah, apparently yeah. that's like a Battlefield 1 map. <laughs> yeah, it is. See, you learn things from video games, kids. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> I got to say, shout out to Battlefield 1 because they actually... I'm not saying it's 100% historically accurate by any means, but that game really did spark interest I think for a lot of people to be like what was World War 1 like all about? Cuz
0: nobody focuses on World War. Well, I. nobody in America does. I mean, right. World War 2 gets much of the shine. I think World War 1 one of the problems was was that um because it was such a or I mean it was the first modern war. It was the first like large-scale modern war. Yeah. And um, that led to it being kind of a draw in a lot of ways. Well it's a sta- it's a- it was a stagnant war. I mean yeah. basically you know they were fighting over over several meters at, at, at a certain point. Trench you know, warfare you got the rats yeah you you know they were gassing foot. their opponents Weep. you know they were they were using mustard gas and like horrible things uh, like just utter chaos in World War one basically right
1: they're that stagnant battlefront mixed with modern technology was supposed to be extremely grotesque because these guys were basically fighting with an adapted style from what is it like
0: well the the old way of fighting was everybody yeah
1: everybody stood in front of each other and shot each other
0: yeah and so i mean they they had battle lines right they had like but they had to fortify them so that they wouldn't get <laughs> utterly blown up, you know. Like so, so they built these trenches. They they each kind of hunkered down and shot at each other, and you know, a lot of battlefields had this area of the battlefield called no man's land, um, where obviously you would die if you if you went into it because it was it was just. It was just an utter mess, you know. Have you ever read All Quiet on the Western Front? I have. So good. Such a good book. Jeez, I totally forgot I read that. Yeah. No, and it it captures it perfectly. It's like such a good I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there. So, <laughs> but uh, from what I understand, it it captures wor- the feeling of being in World War 1, like like being stuck in a mud pit basically. I always liked the sections of that book where it deviated from the mud pit, mm.
1: like a breath of fresh air. I think there's a section where he's in a hospital, right? Yeah, yeah. And there's also a section where he somehow is out of the trench in a small house in a war zone also.
0: Yeah, I think I remember that.
1: Yeah, I remember those two sections of the book being quite interesting. I think the hospital dragged on a little long, mm. but yeah, dude, it's so weird. You said it and I was like, oh my gosh, I have read that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, World War One ch- kind of changed the game. It, it basically destroyed... A bunch of countries um and then afterwards you know germany had to pay reparations to to france um they had the the rhineland um in between which is basically like a demilitarized zone in between france and germany um and then that led to that led to fascism in germany um and you kind of see echoes with that um, with fascist italy right and and it happens much sooner too which is interesting it seems like in in italy the polarization like really makes things swing hard um one way or another
1: yeah i th- i think it's a dangerous position to be in and i think this this like struggle
0: between two uh i, I mean extreme sort of I Uh, would say fascism and communism are extreme (laughs) ideologies someone is calling me someone's calling oh my gosh answer it
1: hello definitely the wrong number I keep getting those phone calls I uh, I don't
0: know what to say well great Washington we're being tracked by China (laughs) Ugh. Dang. Anyways. Um, I didn't even buy one of those Xiaomi phones or those Huawei? Huawei. That's interesting, isn't it? My dad has
1: a Huawei phone. Really? I didn't even know.
0: And then he's like, like, oh, well, I got to get an iPhone now. No, he
1: hates Apple. He hates the fact that I have an iPhone. I'm like, dad, you're the one complaining about China, you old white man. <laughs> and they're taking our jobs. I'm like, you're the reason. You bought the Huawei phone.
0: Well, and I mean... Well, anyways, that's I mean, a totally different subject got uh, politics gotta, and parents Let's do a podcast on that Oof, oof Yeah, well, we got, I mean, uh, okay We gotta get back to Italy Because I'm gonna go on a tangent If if we start talking about, about China Yeah, let's jump forward, okay?
1: World War II is wrapping up, it's done And all of Europe, especially Eastern Europe Is in ruins And we have King Victor Oh, uh, not just Eastern Europe I mean, all, yeah. all of I said, Europe I said all of Europe Uh, King Victor Emmanuel III uh, Abdicates and Italy becomes a republic At that time Is there anything I missed that you want to talk about before that
0: No yeah right around then um, I mean obviously we were America was occupying um, Italy Germany Japan Um, So there was a certain Well they had a referendum In order to um, To replace the king Right Yes So, so they they voted to, and actually they exiled all of the. I know all all these cops. They're they're coming to take my take take my liberty. (laughs) Oh my gosh! They're gonna arrest me. (laughs) What are they arresting you from? Oh, who knows?
1: What crimes you been breaking? You want to put it on the air? Nothing. No crimes.
0: They're coming for me.
1: (laughs) I just I wanted to say something terrible. We Cameron and I were getting coffee just earlier. And we're driving in San Francisco. I'm like, how does this place look like a third world country?
0: <laughs> I I just am shocked. Look, you you are at the nice part of San Francisco. I know. I'll take you to to the TL. I live in a bubble. Yeah. No, it, it looks like yeah. You live in like Los Gatos almost. I don't live in Los Gatos. Yeah, almost, I said. I could use some perspective. And I will be honest. Anyways, so. Yeah, Italy became um, stopped being a monarchy after nineteen forty seven, or after nineteen forty six, and and the republic was um, was erected. And the first uh, the first party who took over the republic was the Christian Democrats, and they actually held power from nineteen forty seven till like nineteen ninety two. This was led, uh, I think, in the 1948 election.
1: Uh, Minister Mario Skelba was put in charge. Mm. Um, I'm trying to see the time that he resigned. But there was something going on uh, in government restructure. Something called... Oh, shoot. The Portela della... Oh, gosh. Uh, Ginstra Massacre? I definitely said that word wrong <laughs> um kind of led by this Robin Hood like figure that ended up killing that a bunch of people died I think it was 7 died 20, 20 so injured or something like that um but yeah that, that was really building tension it says that over 7,000 people were arrested um wow that's crazy no, wait. I think that's a different thing. I don't, I don't think know. That. I don't know if that's right. It's, yeah, there, there's some complicated stuff that uh, Scub was dealing with at the time, and the government's just trying to get back on its feet after World War II. Mm. It's kind
0: of the message I'm putting out. Have you ever seen any Italian real, neo realist movies? Not at all. So, if you've seen The Bicycle Thief, it takes place after World War II, I believe. Um, and it's about, I don't know, it's about how people don't have jobs basically Mm. um and so there was this sense i think that uh, post-world war ii that italy was basically like um their economy was was completely screwed almost right um and so in 1950 um the marshall plan begins and if you don't know about the marshall plan it was the um i think we talked about it didn't we did we talk about it on the show in our history of money episode. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, the Marshall Plan basically during World War uh, World War 2, everybody in Europe sold America their gold. That's right. Um and I mean it, like all the countries in Europe sold America their gold. And so um we had the biggest cache of gold in the world. And so we pinned um the US dollar was still on the gold standard and so we pinned the European um the european currencies on the the u.s dollar and so that way we could have a greater control over over europe's economy and through our basically our entire occupation of europe um we were able to rebuild a lot of these economies so germany became a um you know a a vibrant economy and italy ended up having the the largest gdp growth in from 1950 to 1970 so they were they were really really um helped out by this by this american plan it seems like right they had
1: a very pro-growth capitalistic mindset during that time period or or at least the nation's recovery did which is smart Uh, They were slowed down in the 1970s by an oil crisis, also another political restructure, and they had stagflation um, that occurred, which halted some economic growth. I want to go back to the leadership really fast, because this is what's really confusing. Mm. When the government is restructuring constantly, people are taking power and leaving. Like this guy... uh, Oh, boy. Here we go. Uh, Amtori uh, Fanfani, I think is how you say his last name. Fanfani. This guy... Was, instated as prime minister or was elected as prime minister, five different times
0: across a thirty five year period. Yeah, and they were they were, um, like interrupted terms too. Right, like so, it was five different times. So right after Mario, this guy takes power. Fanfani
1: holds government for twenty one days in nineteen fifty
0: four, when he failed to win approval in the parliament, I'm not quite sure how their election system works. So I think it's a, as far as I understand, it's a parliamentary election. So basically what happens is the people, um, vote for the party and the party picks the prime minister. But I think there's also parliamentary checks along with that. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but from what I understand, because, because they have like coalition governments and because I think it's probably similar to how, to how the UK system works, which leads us to,
1: uh, Antonio Sengni, I think is maybe how you say his name. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm so. sorry. Whatever. It's S E G N I. I don't know how to say that. Segni. I S-I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, Sanji. Maybe Sengi? That, that might be, nah. who knows? I don't, I don't think that's right. Um, but he takes power right after Funfani. We're not done with Funfani though. Um, he is prime minister from 1955 to 57 and also uh, 1959 to
0: 1960. So one year. And are all these, all of these people are part of the Christian Democrats, correct? Um, like yes. it's all just, it's all just like rotating coalitions in the, in the Christian Democrats. Correct. Correct. And w- the way that the parliamentary system works is that in order to become the majority government, you have to have a coalition between different, different smaller parties, Outside of your sort of large umbrella party, if if that's what you say, I'm not sure. That's what I understand about the parliamentary system. It's yes, complicated.
1: It it is. It seems complicated yeah. because everybody's serving multiple terms. So he takes power after Fonfani, but Fonfani comes back <laughs> in '58, right after uh the last guy's term, right, and he is elected in the 1958 general election, um. Fonfani's a little bit more. He aligns more with the Italian Communist Party. It seems.
0: No, I think he isn't. He like more of the left wing opposition. He he's like he's not part of the Communist Party, but he's doesn't he um, involve some of the like center left coalition. Um, yeah, it seems like so. After he
1: he's he is opposed by the majority of the Christian Democrats. And he ends up resigning On January 26th of 1959 Um, This quote on Wikipedia Says it's due to so-called snipers uh, Which often put his government In the minority So essentially He's having a hard time Getting things done With all the opposition To his idealism Um, But he comes back Again For a third and fourth uh, try In July of 1960 He comes back for another cabinet He's learned a lot um and he's reelected i'm trying to see for how long he reorganized his cabinet and kind of he leans more and more into socialism um he does some good things with reforms to health education and social security which are just steps towards modernization but as it goes with italian history they always overstep after understepping it seems mm. Um, What I got from reading through the encyclopedia about Italy is that they have this constant trend of letting the free market ride almost to an extreme level in some ways where worker conditions are terrible, uh, the people are not being taken care of with some areas that the government could
0: provide by to the point where people really want change. And, and then, this leads to a, a large swing into the more socialist, communist um, elements of the, of the country. I mean, the Communist Party, for example, the Communist Party was, was strong since 1921. And then during the republic, it was the second largest um, party in the country, which is crazy. It was the largest communist party in, in Europe at the time. Yeah. It's so it seems like there's just this large swing between um between, you know, the more I mean what you would say is right-wing but the more sort of like populist um or capitalist parts of, of Italy and then the um the the strong influence of the of the communist and socialist parties. Yeah, it's this image of scrambling, mm. right? The government's just trying to get it together, and Italy even—they—they they
1: really haven't even had the time to catch up to the industrial revolution
0: to some degree. Well, I mean, I think they were—they were industrialized, um, and actually, no, the north, yes, embraced, the north was industrialized. Uh, the industrial side of things, but they, the but the south was still an agricultural dominant.
1: Yeah, and and they're being left behind. I don't know how strong that is till to this day, right? But from the studies on the twentieth century, that was the vibe I got from it all. Mm. And with this, I think it it kind of
0: this is where the swinging and the shouting comes from. Right? Yeah, and the stratification of of both of both sides of things, and I think you see that um, there's a certain amount of of um left versus right based on demographics, right? So like and and geography. So like I I don't know exactly where it would be, but maybe the more industrial parts of the north, right, were were more likely to be um communist, and then the more rural parts were were more likely to be um, you know, supporting the the Christian Democrats. Um and, and I think you see a similar um I think you see a similar attitude in America, where um, once you get closer and closer towards the co- towards the coasts, you start to see a leftward swing, and then once you get closer into the middle of the country, you see, you know, a rightward swing. So there's there's a certain amount of um, rural versus um, urban and industrial um, stratification as well.
1: I think the reason, the main reason that I find italy's history so interesting is because of the radical jumps that they make yeah in in the parties
0: and in terms of policy right yeah and it seems like um you know you have someone who's extreme what you might say is right wing i i don't know if i would necessarily categorize mussolini as right wing but um you you have this sort of extreme um nationalist fascist party and in, in Mussolini and then it swings you know to a large presence of of the Communist Party and a lot of uh, and then a socialist coalition inside the Christian Democrats you know like there's this it seems like there's this radical shift between one extreme ideology and the other you know
1: yeah I think I like to share about this and the reason we deem this even important to talk about excuse me I think I'm gonna sneeze is it gonna pass no Thank you you. Um, (laughs) The reason we find it important to talk about Is because we can learn from this Right Mm. Let's be real We're from America A majority of our listeners are from America And I'm sure if you're around the world And tapped into any sort of media Everybody's staring at America Because our politics are super charged right now Yeah, Everybody's freaking out Everybody's demanding Some level of change for whatever their interest is Right there is a cost-benefit analysis that needs to happen with every sort of change. I'm not saying that the process should be painfully slow because of bureaucracy. I'm saying that it should be well thought out. Hmm. And I think most people can agree with me that it seems like a majority of ideas being thrown around aren't well thought out or well defended to some degree.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. But I I, I would also... I just suggest that we pull back from the stratification that we're going through I mean this is I think I think I think the audience can understand where we're coming from being like the the like the the more sort of centrist like like hey can we all like like calm down a little bit like can we bring the temperature of the conversation down I think I think the audience understands that we're like rather than seeing sort of like the extremes, um, polarize the conversation, we'd rather, we'd rather sit down with someone across the aisle and, and get things done, um, and maybe make compromises along the way, you know? And so, so I think, I think this system of government and the, the one that we're talking about in Italy and the example of, of the extreme of the extremes, um, you know, uh, this revolving door of, of extremism and polarization and of violence. And then, you know, it, it just happens again and again, where, you know, during this time of, of, uh, polarization, there was a lot of like car bombings. There was a lot of political violence in Italy. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I fear that this is something that we're going to, um, we're going to see more and more. Well, what I find interesting is that the government
1: can't seem to make up its mind where it wants to go. The example of Fanfani being elected five different times and then constantly resigning or or rejumping on board and I mean you got to imagine a politician like that at the times like, dude, I just can't figure this out. And it seems like his third and fourth term he kind of got it together for the agenda that he wanted to push, but what a what a headache. Of a job. Yeah. You know, to try to juggle a government that's just kind of being scrapped together, just being figured out. Right. Yeah. We don't, I mean, yes, like there needs to be change in some areas, I think. No matter what government, a government should strive to improve. I mean, for instance, like we're talking about working conditions. Italy didn't have any sort of worker protection at all. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sure, they got the benefit of growth like fast growth in the economy at the cost of the workers and so the workers are then protected to the point where you know the economy slows down rapidly and it it crashes
0: hard well well and let's take for example the the radical centrist position on this where you know you have such an extreme working condition for these these um poor factory workers and whatever Um, the working class and they are more incentivized to support a um, socialist or communist party right they're more incentivized to to um, to vote for a party who would say you know we need to the workers need to have control of the of the means of production right because they're incentivized they're they're incentivized by that line of thinking and so if you have sort of extreme positions um, and you have this sort of extreme inequality, you start to see. Um, I mean, maybe it's resentment, or maybe it's um, you know a, a desire for for change and for you know prot- worker protections. You see this start to to boil up underneath the surface. You know. Yeah, I mean, even like the encyclopedia on
1: Italy's development that I was reading about, they they had this section where they said, "Oh." within the last 50 years, Italy has the highest rating for social mobility. And then the next sentence in the encyclopedia was like, this is a lie because they're just catching up. Basically like Mm. the agricultural side is now shifting to a more industrial working class. And so they lie about this statistic that they have great social mobility because it's just becoming modern. Right, Right. 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 And it's like, that's not good. Right. So, the point of this episode is not to bash on Italy by any means. As a matter of fact, it's to look at a, a case where it's like, whoa, there is consequence for this pendulum swinging back and forth in terms of government approach. Yeah. And there are negatives and positives on both sides. But, you know, you look at the politics of America, right? Right now, that's what Cameron and I know because that's this is where we're from, mm-hmm. right? There seems to be that swinging on a more small scale, and the fear is right now with the polarization of our politics is that that swinging is becoming wider and wider, right? We don't want to fall into that chaos, or at least I think Cameron and I, maybe you disagree as a listener, but I think that's kind of the point we were trying to get across with this.
0: Yes, I I would like to not see extremists in our government. Yeah. I think that's a. I think that's a, a pretty good goal. <laughs> well, I mean, the socialist kid at my school would disagree. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm sure he would, but I t- I have I'm this, not a socialist. I have this funny story with this radical socialist, and I I have nothing against people sharing their ideas, but this guy, legitimately in the class, is constantly rambling like a psycho about how everything is is evil, everything is propaganda, you know, like everybody's against him, and. He was... he. I mean, I I like to tease and prod a little bit if... I mean, if you know who I am. I I just... (laughs) I find a little bit of pride and cynicism. This guy, we were studying for our final, and of course he's ranting about politics as we're trying to understand what the heck we're doing on this math final, basically. And he was like you know this is just bs we're here paying for school like this is total crap da, 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 da. school should be free just like in germany Ger- germany offers free school to uh you know people who are there and uh also immigrants right this has nothing to do if with i mean whatever it, it has nothing to do if you believe school should be free or not that's besides the point <laughs> This kid is sitting here complaining to me about how he has to pay for school as he's going through school, and he just told me that he could get free school in Germany. So I just sat there, I looked at him, and I said, dude, why don't you just move to Germany? That's all I said to him. This guy was so mad that he turns to his friend, and he talks to me about, or he talks to his friend about how he's going to put me on his kill list when he <laughs> takes power, when
0: he takes uh like his socialist power um i think that's so funny because a lot of i think i feel like a lot of socialists quote unquote socialists any radical have have this well they have this idea that oh i'm going to be the the one who doesn't have a kill list you know what i mean like i'm gonna be the one who who is like i'm the noble tyrant you know yeah
1: to give (laughs) no to give him credit he he wasn't claiming noble uh tyrant
0: no, yeah. To give him he, credit, he, like
1: totally was like,
0: oh yeah, I'm he, gonna have a kill list. He's <laughs> he like he totally is like I'm a I am crazy. I know it. No, 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 no. It's not crazy. It's not crazy to to want to kill your political opponents. I guess not. Yeah, it was very funny. If so. you if you're an ideologue, if you have a if you have a set of beliefs that, like, okay, so I think I think you can kind of go through go through the ideological process with this right you believe that capitalism is is killing is killing like th- hundreds of thousands of people millions of people right right because because we people don't have access to to food and to healthcare, right that's what you believe right and so yeah. you're saying well if capitalism is killing so many people you know what would what would be the harm in killing some capitalists yeah. <laughs> you know, you go through this, like, I mean, that's like, that's extremely dangerous to me. Yeah, I know, I agree. Dangerous.
1: I think that most people would think that's dangerous. This, he, the kid cracks me up, though, a little bit. <laughs> he really does. Um, cause I had a long conversation with him after class once just cause I was interested. Hmm. And, he was rambling about how he didn't believe in certain things. I was like, you know, I just, I like to talk to people, especially about this stuff. And so I, I think I spent like 45 minutes in the cold, just talking to him after class. one time. And I know I've probably said this on the podcast before, but at the end of our conversation, he was like, there's a revolution coming and I'm, (laughs) and, and we're going to, you know, kill the big man. And I was like, okay, like, that's great. And I was like, you know, I was like, if I'm ever successful, you know, feel free to come over and burn my Tesla. And then he was like, Oh, you know, I will. And I looked at him. I said, dude, I drive a crappy Hyundai, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's, it's funny, man. I, I, I enjoy the discourse about, I mean, I enjoy, I know you do the same, Karen. We enjoy discourse with anyone who agrees or disagrees. Yeah. I know you play devil's advocate for almost everything.
0: Yeah. Jerk. I will. (laughs) Um, but imagine this, imagine this. I think this is where we can leave it off, right? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe this is not the point to leave it off. But um like imagine if that guy was was like advocating for fascism and saying like, "Oh yeah, I I want to I want to kill people who aren't ethnically German." <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like imagine if he was he was like advocating for fascism, which is basically what he's doing, just just in a roundabout way um and so like like i i just can't imagine people people like not being up in arms about that you know what i mean i can't imagine what I'm saying most is,
1: sensible people being like you know this guy's got something what he's on to something what
0: i'm saying is we we need to be a little bit more strict on on communists <laughs> oh cameron I think you I think the point of this episode is that we need to be strict on any extreme. Yes, I 100% agree. But I think we are with fascists. Nobody likes a fascist. But the other thing is who's who are the fascists nowadays? Hard to tell. I don't know. Do you know any
1: fascists? I'm sure people will hate us. They'll call us fascists. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> I just sometimes I I, I wonder there, it's like, we study this stuff in school, and then people throw around these insults, and I'm like, did you study this stuff in school? Like, I, did I did. I miss something? Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Sorry, I just realized our mics are getting some echo back. That's okay. It's not okay. This show's supposed to be, get better. But,
0: yeah, that I pretty much
1: concludes our thoughts on Italy, the history of Italy. We call it the tragedy of Italy because... Of this pendulum. It is swinging, tragic. Swinging back and forth. Lucky to say, you know, like I said, uh, in their GDP, what was it? Their sixth in the world? Yeah. Now, they've recovered well. I know that they still have... They're kind of fighting regulation right now. They're trying to deregulate.
0: I did see that Salvini, who is the, um, the more populist leader, he, he's getting some intrigue. People are, I don't know, taking an interest into him. So, there is a sort of um wave of of populism, of of nationalism oh, anti EU. Am I gonna have bad traffic on the way home? Uh maybe.
1: Oh anyways, get get out of here. Crap. Well We have ten minutes. I think this was a good talk. I think it was good discussion. I hope so. Here's the thing. Whenever we do any sort of episode politi- with a touch of politics, we hope that it's
0: enjoyable and laid back for you yeah. as a listener.
1: It's not supposed to like upset anyone
0: you know i think we're both fairly reasonable and we understand that like in order to to be successful in a society or in order for politics to be successful in a society there has to be a certain amount of fundamental agreement and then room to work and compromise on the edges totally you know totally i think that's why i enjoy talking to anyone about Mm.
1: political stuff. I know I have a bunch of friends who are like, I hate talking about politics. I don't want to talk about it. And I was like, you've just probably had a bad experience. Yeah. What you need to do is find people that you can talk to about it. that don't necessarily always just say yes to everything you're saying, but people who are excited to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Who are excited to discourse respectfully.
0: Yeah. And I think that's why playing devil devil's advocate is an interesting tactic because there's a certain, um, when you're able to give someone pushback, you can, you can really challenge if they've thought about their ideas or not. You know, you can challenge if they've, if they've really worked through some of the tougher, the tougher sides of the, of the argument. Cause every, even, even things that we believe are, are flawed in a certain way. Yeah. I've been totally crushed in a political conversation before. Really?
1: Yeah. What about? I don't remember. I just remember there was, cr- I've never lost. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> almost swore on the podcast.
0: Uh, uh, yes, Cameron. <laughs> so proud. So smug. I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm ki- I'm sure I have. I don't know. Oh, you can't remember, can you? I can't. Oh my gosh. I don't, no, I don't. It's not remember. about winning or losing. No, it's not.
1: So stop saying it. But I win all the time. Oh my gosh. I'm always winning. You're the par. you're the problem. I'm always winning. You're part of the problem. I'm the greatest. You're definitely part of the problem. <laughs> No, I I think if you're okay with saying, I don't know, or I haven't really looked into that,
0: political conversation's fun. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and being able to be like, you know, I don't know, I I might be wrong. You know, I might, I might have this, I might have this wrong. I might be, be wrong about this. Totally. I'm usually wrong about most things. We're always wrong. Except
1: me. I'm always wrong. (laughs) No. Hey, we got five minutes left on the show. Again, if you want to support the podcast, check us out at ECFS Podcast. Uh, I said that wrong. Patreon.com slash ECFS Podcast. I don't even know. Did I say that at the beginning of the show? Probably not. You can check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash ECFS Podcast. And
0: give us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I wonder if people like listening to to political stuff. I don't know. but I mean, we're gonna- I'm sure some people do, but like, mm,
1: who knows? Most of the time we're talking about movies or video games, so this might become a little unpalatable
0: for some. Yeah, but I think we both have a certain passion for for the deeper side of things, you know? And actually, I think, I think philosophy is way more interesting than politics, to be honest. I wonder how much we lean into philosophy over politics. Go, what do you mean? They go a little
1: bit hand in hand. I think they go completely. You know, ahead. I've never taken a philosophy class. You should.
0: It's interesting. I'm never going to. No, know. I'm not going to take one. Why? Just because I don't have time in school or money mm, for it. I guess so. So, yeah, I took, I took a ton of philosophy classes. Um, they were really intriguing because philosophy professors are mostly socialists. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say stoners. I mean, they're probably that too. But. Oh nice no i i yeah i had a, a lot of really interesting discussions i took a political philosophy class um my last semester we talked about marxism um it was really interesting but i don't know it, it's, it, i think i think philosophy is way more important than than politics because philosophy is is where you root um your political decisions in right like, like, if it, your philosophy of of how things are are good and bad, that that's what that's what leads into your political philosophy.
1: Yeah. No, I I think it's super valuable to be able to evaluate where you're at with that stuff, and also to make sure that politics isn't a team sport.
0: Mm, yeah. 100%. I
1: find, you know, it's funny, Cameron. You and I both sit with people that agree agree and disagree and they usually both of them end up disagreeing with us that's my experience <laughs> yeah like, that's I'll, true i'll sit with people on the right or left and they usually end up being like ah oh, like i disagree with you on this it's the team sport like here's here's an example right i mean i was talking about my dad earlier he's fairly conservative um i would say most of the time i lean in that direction too but we always disagree on stuff Mm-hmm And so, for instance, the tariffs, I am not a fan of the tariffs. I'm an economist. I'm like... I don't think tariffs are very conservative. Uh, Exactly. That's what I was like, dude... My dad was like, "Oh, I mean, you know, because of the president, I like the president, blah 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 blah." <laughs> oh, I don't like that. My dad's always weird. He's like, "I don't like the president, but I like what he's doing here, and I don't like what he's doing here." I'm like, "Okay, you know, like at least you have some sort of opinion." Yeah, but, but
0: tariffs. Why are tariffs the one thing that you're like super jazzed about? Like, <laughs> yeah, he was. He was like, "Oh, <laughs> like that do- doesn't that negatively with his, with his Huawei phone, right?" Doesn't that negatively affect his job too? You'd think. I don't know. Like, it doesn't raise the price of. Of consumer goods
1: I have no idea What he's thinking The answer is yes
0: It does raise the price Of consumer goods I just Was like No tariffs They're bad Don't do those Well No protective tariffs I would say Um, Defensive tariffs Maybe Well I think that, Like in his mind It is defensive That's a different topic For another time Yeah I guess so What I'm trying to get at Is that (laughs) We disagree about things I, I think we disagree too About About Small things. Okay, I think we're, we're mainly in agreement. What do we, what am I? We were disagreeing, disagreeing earlier
1: about the gas tax. It always, no. Oh yeah, the gas tax. That's always a fun one. Um, <laughs> there's something about Well, we were having a conversation about truth. That's the thing. Our our mm-hmm. our political conversations always turn into philosophical.
0: Yeah, because I think that's way more important in I my th- mind. I, I think, don't think know. so too. I think it's fun. We were talking about you were saying how how everything is propaganda. Even this, this podcast. This is what we should. Talk about on on a later date. I think it's a good. I think it's a good topic. It's a really interesting one. I think we need to define propaganda, but mine is pretty. Yeah, I'm like, dude, just everything's propaganda.
1: You can't trust anything. <laughs> I hope if you got to the end of this podcast, and I hope I said. I wish I said this sooner. If I didn't already, it's not. This is not supposed to be like. I don't know. I don't want to say. We're not trying to like. Push any sort of agenda. We just like to spark conversation. Are you saying that we're
0: not propaganda? We are prop. I just said we are propaganda. I know, but you're trying to cover it up. I know. Trying to say that that we don't have it.
1: Boom! Point proven. There you go.
0: (laughs) I just destroyed it. No, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Episode done. Oh my! That's what I'm
1: saying. All right. Everything is propaganda. That's the name of my EP. It's coming out.
0: Slapping rap track. That should be the name of our of our political podcast. We're uh, going to break off into two different podcasts, one about movies, one about politics. What about video games? And then this one will be our video game podcast. Oh my gosh. We'll do three, just like kind of funny. Do we do anything original? No. That's what are we going to oh, oh show? Oh yeah,
1: that's a good point. We got to do something original. No. What? Never. I our will fast never do food episode is going to be so good. Damn, we, didn't, we haven't done that yet. I can't wait. But you, we have to do that on video. Yeah, like there's no way people want to hear us chewing on a McChicken <laughs> for an hour. What was it again? We're gonna get one thing at every fast food. Place? I want to go to every restaurant and every fast food restaurant and say, "Give us the best thing that you guys are known for, and like see what signature comes." Our item. signature. So you're probably end up with like a Big
0: Mac, a Whopper. You think we'll get on the trending page on YouTube? No, are you kidding me? No, unless we come up with a clever thumbnail. We area. gotta have a good thumbnail. And yeah, a good, a good, title. good uh, yeah, a good clickbaity title. We bought 100%. McDonald's
1: and then this happened. Big <laughs> exclamation point,
0: and we're both going like, "Yep," making a go. surprised face. Oh my gosh! I love that. I love that idea. Let's do it. That's a stupid idea. <laughs> hey, that's how that's how you that's how you make content on YouTube. Seriously. Mm. Clickbait. Maybe we should do the science of clickbait. That'd be a fun episode. I watched a video about that. All right. I literally watched a video. Well, we're that. not original. We should Unoriginal. just
1: rip the video. That's us it It's done. Up. It's done. You guys know where to find us, where to complain to us, all this stuff. This has been episode 48. We hope you enjoyed it. And we will be back for two more weeks following this. And then we're doing our little break um, and... H- restructure. If you guys want to know more about what we're planning to do, you do have to support us on Patreon. We did a post recently. Um just a quick note to our Patreon supporters. We didn't do any follow-up for questions or topics this month. I was busy with finals. Cameron was I don't know what he was doing, staring at the ceiling. Um <laughs> but yeah. Huff if you w- if you want a question on the show, that is still open. We're trying to make sure our Patreon... We're going to restructure our Patreon so that it's less of a um, donation means and something that you can actually engage with. Most of the people who support us on there are content with just sitting alongside. Um, so if you're considering supporting us on Patreon, we do take it seriously. We try to reach out to everyone uh, that's... No, we do. We do reach out to everyone. Yeah, of course. That supports us. It just seems that once they support us, they don't seem to care afterwards. Thanks, Kyle, for supporting us. Yeah, Thanks, Kyle.
0: Thanks, Kyle Garola. Yeah, I wonder if Kyle even would make it to the end of this episode, dude. You know, I saw him at um at at Aki. Did I tell you that? No, but I always see. And Kyle. He was like, "Oh, hey, you're." I I listen to your podcast, dude. Kyle Garola has a YouTube
1: channel. Oh yeah, so check it out. Oh, cool. Yeah. What's it called? He's a fu- Kyle Garola. Oh. he's a funny guy. I feel like he's a good fit for YouTube. Yeah, we should get him on the podcast. I think he'd be great on the podcast. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. All right, more guests, more guests with episode. More, more, more guests on everything comes from something. They're way more interesting than our political (sighs) jargon. Jeez. Okay, that's it. Enjoy it. (laughs)